Welcome to the Local Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. Uh, this week I have Justin Tupper of St. Ange Livestock here with me. Uh, Justin wears a lot of hats, uh, not just St. Ange Livestock, uh, U.S. Cattlemen's Association, some ranching on the side, and he drives my golf cart for me on Wednesday afternoons. So, Justin, <laughs> thanks for being here with us today. Glad to be here. So, uh, I guess, first and foremost, I guess if I could have you start kind of on the information from the U.S. Cattlemen's, what you had happen over the winter and directions you're seeing this year? Yeah, of course, uh, the political atmosphere is uh, very different in D.C. than it has been in the past, uh, not necessarily for the better, not necessarily for the worse, but uh, lots going on there. Uh, we've been uh, working on several bills, uh, uh, Senator Grassley, Senator Fisher's price discovery bill, uh, is reintroduced. Uh, it could get tied in with the farm bill. It could get to be a standalone legislation again. We could not get it through committee in the last uh, Congress, uh, but uh, I think uh, there's plenty of momentum to try to get that done. So we're very hopeful that uh, along with farm bill discussions that are going on currently that we can get uh, Senator Grassley and Senator Fisher's uh, price discovery bill uh, into motion. And, and it has been introduced but uh, as you know, that they have a life of their own, and, and you don't always know what direction that's going to go. For everyone, can you kind of break out what their bill, the outline of that? So in their bill, they want to have a minimum standard uh, for um, cash cattle, that there has to be so many uh, cattle bought in the cash spot cash market. That way, uh, as they establish what the five-state weighted average is, it's not done on such a small, slim yeah. slim margin where they can control it. So that's one of the big things, uh, you know, the, the, to establish the cattle contract libraries in there. Uh, there's there's quite a few bit of devil in the details in it, but to make a long story short, it's about making sure that we continue to have at least a 20% minimum cash uh, cattle traded as we go through uh, the years and months of the, of all of cattle industry. Yeah. And I, you've been working on quite a little more than that. What? Yeah, the, lots again going on. You know, with the state of the cattle industry the way it is, uh, a lot of the things that we've done, we've worked with FSA, and and uh, and you've seen it, some of the catastrophic events that have happened uh, within uh, our area, uh, getting some of those prices established a little higher just because that's where we are in today's standards. So we've worked with them. Uh, Zach Ducheneau has been a, a big help. It's uh, uh, really uh, uh, quite a thing to have him as the director and from our state and yep. have a direct line. You and I both know you can yep. dial him up anytime, and, and, and it's really good to have that. So I've had some great conversations with him and working on some of those uh, projects. I think uh, the farm bill is definitely a priority. Uh, when we talk about the farm bill, something that everybody always says, well, it's uh, not really about the farm, and it's not. It's about 20% or less has to do with actual farm and, and cattle industry things. The rest is all uh, about food supply and, and how they uh, divvy up some of those programs and hand out food. But uh, it is a big deal, and, and it's uh, going to be on the minds of Congress as they move forward. They got the debt ceiling out of their way, I think, we hope. Sounds like, yep. So maybe they can uh, focus a little more on, uh, on uh, the farm bill, and I think that will get a lot of attention here going forward. There's a lot of backroom conversation leading up to those some of the as those negotiations start though that you you have to be early and 
and persistent to, to get some of the changes out that you're looking for. You're 100% spot on. I mean, most of those decisions aren't made uh, when they sit down at the table and write the farm bill. Most of those decisions are done way ahead of time. They have had some listening sessions uh, in Montana. They've had a couple, and I think they had one in eastern South Dakota, if I'm not mistaken, about some of the priorities that uh, our, our local senators would take into the farm bill. And and I think there's some good things in there. I think, uh, you know, one of the things we always talk about, and, and you and I have many different times, is getting too dependent upon the governments. We always want to be yep. careful. You know, when we ask for some of these programs and assistance, that that's what it is, is one-time assistance from catastrophic events or, or things that uh, we can't get like the crop guys and, and be 100% dependent upon that. We want to make sure that a lot of these programs for the cattle industry are just that, that, that when there is things happen that we can't control, that there's a safety net there, but not something that we're going to depend upon each and every year. We want to be able to be independent and uh, and and stand, stand alone uh, with the cattle industry different than the crops, I think. Yeah, I think that's a long-term objective we'd dang sure like to stick with. Uh, I'm going to switch horses here lightly. Uh, you made mention of it last winter, and uh, folks that were there at the Unity and Beef deal in, in January during the stock show, uh, we're in a really unique time in South Dakota right now. Uh, the three major beef industry groups are, all have their leadership based out of South Dakota, and as you mentioned, at the same time, we have Zach, a South Dakotan, running the FSA. Uh, that's unique and something we should be proud of as a state, but we need to capitalize on, hopefully, the communication between all of you to to jump us ahead a little bit as well. Well, and on that front, um, you're exactly right, and I, I do believe there are ways that we can collaborate and get some things done. On that front, we uh, had met with... Uh, the president of NCBA and the president of RCAF and myself had a conversation about uh, talking to Secretary Vilsack about Brazilian beef. We all have a common theme that we would like to see Brazilian beef halted completely coming into this country until they play on the same level playing field that we do. Yeah. Uh, we've allowed them to do things that uh, the, even American companies, they would have tossed them out. They wouldn't be able to do that. And, and we continue to allow them to be a bad actor. And we all agree on this. And unfortunately, Secretary Vilsack chose not to take a meeting with the three of us about that. And we were in agreement. And I think you'll see some about that yet. We're, we've uh, talked about sending a letter. And, uh, and, and obviously, uh, when we have all three in agreement, that's something, that's rare, yeah. <laughs> something we got to make sure that we get out there. So I was very excited about that and still am that we can at least sit down and have that conversation. And, and I wish Secretary Vilsack would have took us up on it. I'm headed to D.C. next week. Maybe we can... Uh, shake the tree a little more on that but uh yeah they're they're definitely a bad actor and and that is something we've got to work on together and any other things coming through u.s cattlemen you know i think uh as we uh, go forward i think one of the things that's really on the minds of cattlemen is uh you know the the way these lrps work so i think that's going to be something that uh, we talk about in the farm bill it's really became a viable option as you know as a banker uh, for these uh, ranchers to put a little insurance on what their product is out there. And at the levels and the input costs that we have today, I think that's really an important thing. And so we got to make sure that that program continues to work. Uh, a cattle contract library we, we've wished for, but we also know that the devil's in the details there. And if it's uh, uh, nothing but uh, telling us what's already out there in a different form, it's useless, and, yeah. and, and we're worried that that's the direction it's going. We are going to have a listening session in St. Ange. 
the USDA is going to be out there June 23rd, and they're going to tell us all about the contract library that they have set up. Uh, and, and we can ask a lot of questions in and, and, and push them on the hard issues of why some of the information isn't out there. Just for our listeners, can you clarify the contract libraries? So a cattle contract library would tell all cattle contracts that are out there. One of the things that we know to be true is some of the big uh, uh, packers that are corporate-owned get sweetheart deals that we don't get to see. And, and, and as a small uh, cattle feeder, we'd like to know what they're getting so we can at least yep. market on the same yeah. kind of playing field or at least have the knowledge of, well, they got that, so they should be able to, you know. And other things that are important in the library is knowing when, when and where these cattle are marketed, as Cattle Facts does, and they bring out some of those things. You know, they, you can see these cycles ahead of time a little bit, and you can prepare and, and feed and, and buy your livestock accordingly. So I think there's some good things that can come out of it, but confidentiality is a word you get heard every time I go to DC and I hate yeah. that word and it's it really has no business in in what we talk about here but uh, they use that to really squash down uh, the power that we could have on on manip- them manipulating the market backwards on us because they know that they don't have to tell us everything well price discovery remains very very important for a free market and if you're limiting price discovery with what you want out there. I, I agree that that's not good for the masses to make the best decisions. Well, and there's four of them, basically, four yeah. major packers. And so to collude with four is much easier to do than the millions of uh, cattle ran- independent cattle ranchers that are out there. It's hard to get everybody in the same direction. Yeah. I know you have, uh, but I'd like your comments on uh, with with four major packing plants, uh, it's opened up the opportunity for a lot of local kill plants to open up their doors, grow if they already were in place. Uh, that has to be good for our business. I, I think it definitely is, and you've heard me say this. The one caution I have with that, with all these new plants coming online, whether they be small or medium size, or even a few large ones like the one in Nebraska, they've got to be viable. If the big four packers get to squeeze them out because we're in a much tougher time than they were during COVID to make money for these big four packers. If they get squished out and then they can buy them for 10 cents on the dollar, we have absolutely went backwards. But I I think getting more out there so we can have more options and more places that you can uh, harvest these cattle is a great thing. But again, we, we were talking about it on the way down here, Clay, that uh, it takes an ocean of money. And you start <laughs> thinking about buying, even killing a 1,000 head a week, and what it takes to make that whole thing operate between employees and buying the cattle and selling the meat. And and so it's it's tough. It's a tough business, and that's the reason there's only four out there. They've been able to squeeze uh, all the little guys out. Yeah, there's a mountain of overhead that goes with running something like that and carrying it until sale and it does make a deeper pocket have a lot better opportunity to capitalize on those times than, than the small guy. But it, I do feel it's been really good for our industry to get beef back in the hands of local consumers, um, not through a McDonald's burger, but through a grill, a burger off their own grill or a steak off their own grill and get that attachment to the flavor again. Well, and we did. We know COVID did that. That helped us a bunch that a lot of these local plants, people wanted to know where it came from. And then when, once they've got a taste of it, exactly what you said, you know, with all the preservatives and there's nothing wrong, it's the safest protein in the world. But 
it has a different taste if you have to go to the grocery store and buy it. And most of us out here in this part of the world know or have had connections with somebody that uh, harvests their own beef and are able to get some of that and put it in their freezer. And I think that has been huge. And it's a hard number to quantify how much that changes. And everybody thinks, well, one or two head. Well, you just keep adding that up over time, and it does make a big difference. And, and, and the experience that they have, I think, is huge, which you alluded to, that, that, that that's a good taste, and, and, and it's their own. As you're talking, I recall, uh, I think we had you on the podcast last maybe two years ago, and one of the bigger concerns at that time was the, what was the Beyond Meat? What, what, was that the name of the, yep. the fake meat? That mm-hmm. I think that dust is settled. <laughs> I don't think it went over... And, and again, I think one of the things that happened there, and, and the disheartening thing with that is, is Beyond Meat was owned by the big four packers. That's who invested in Beyond Meat. Yeah. So the people that we count on to uh, make sure that our industry stays viable or we have to hold their feet to the fire are investing in things that are, are not good for our industry Creating at all. a competitive product with, with our product, yeah. So, so I think that's huge. I mean, I think when you go down that road a little bit that comes down to the checkoff and a lot of those things were talked about i mean when the checkoff was written you can't uh i believe the word is divest against uh, any or disparage against is the word i'm looking for they can't disparage against any other uh meat and i don't think anybody when they wrote that in the 70s could have thought that we were going to be producing meat in Fake a lab meat, yeah. from cells or letting plants be called meat of some sort you know i i I just don't think that could happen so i think uh, that's another thing that we have a committee that works on continually is trying to do some upgrades to the uh, beef checkoff Uh, we're one that doesn't believe it should be gone we believe that the checkoff has a place but we got to make sure that our money is used wisely and on the things that we we know will help the industry and and not just help the big four packers sell meat Uh, so i think that's going to be on the minds a lot of uh uh, the producers, I know that's a divisive thing in our part of the world. Some people believe in it, some people don't. I've served on the checkoff for over 20 years, and I've seen a lot of the good things it can do. But yep. but I also know that there's a lot of waste out there, and, and it goes to places maybe we, we wouldn't want it ourselves. But the 50 cents that's held uh, within the state of South Dakota, I can vouch for that it is held in very tight, good hands. I mean... Uh, it is uh, eight organizations that have three people apiece there, and, the, and they work their tails off to make sure that 50 cents is stretched and used to the best of its ability. So th- there's definitely good things there, and, and, and I know that divides some people, but I, I think any time that you could promote your industry and protect your industry is what we need to look at with the checkoff. Uh, that, that's a positive thing, and, and you start talking that huge amounts of dollars, it, it can get a little convoluted, but... Um, I I think for us in U.S. Cattlemen, our idea is that we would like to uh, modernize the checkoff would be a better word and and make it uh, a little more user-friendly to the producer. Yeah. uh, How long is your term as president? As U.S. Cattlemen's president? It's a three-year term, and then you serve at the leisure of your peers. So you've got two years left in, in this yep. in current term. How long have you been with Cattlemen? Probably Cattlemen? since 2006, I think, however long that is. My math's not quick. Seventeen-ish years yep. off the top of my mm-hmm. head. But, and you found that to be a pretty good delivery channel for what you want to see accomplished anyway. And it is, I guess. I think the one difference that we always talk about with the U.S. Cattlemen is we're not afraid to get our hands dirty, and we want to make sure instead of just – 
hollering out and, and, and acknowledging what the problems are. We want to be there to working on and, yeah. and making solutions to the problems. Yep. And that's probably what drew me to U.S. Cattlemen more than any other organization. Guest today is Justin Tupper, St. Ange Livestock. Uh, we've we've talked briefly on the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Uh, next thing, Justin, uh, of course, running the sale barn. Everybody has big questions about when should I sell my calves? What should I sell my calves for? What are my heifers going to be worth? Uh, I know your crystal ball is as dented as everyone else's <laughs> right now, but give me your insight, your oversight, your your fears. Where where are you where are you standing today on the market? So I, I really think we're in a good place as far as uh, industry-wise, number-wise, that uh, we, we are set up to be a really good. I think the one thing that we, we've seen happen to us in the, in the short-term years is we always have one of these black swan events come swooping in that we don't uh, have any control over and really change our markets. And I suppose if I was to talk about a fear, that would be my fear. What is the yeah. black swan event that's going to change that? But I think uh, cattle numbers are shorter. The drought uh, that uh, has really continued for four or five years up here in the Midwest and then really hit hard last year and into the first of this year in the south has liquidated numbers to a level that uh, turned that pendulum back to where we have some leverage again. Yeah. And, and it's terrible that that's what we always have to depend on, but that, that is the case. Uh, I guess the other thing that I worry about and you and I have talked about in the past is you know, how long will the uh, consumer look to the meat case and a ribeye is $15 a pound and you can buy pork for $1.75 or 2 bucks? That's yep. that's a fear. Um, but I do think uh, the, it's a sought-after product. I think we, we, again, have the safest protein in the world, so I think we're on good footing. As far as the calf market goes, you know, we're selling a few of these calves on these early contracts on the country page for fifteen fifty to $1,650, which is uncharted water to say the least yeah. i mean we just we haven't been to those levels uh before even back in uh, 2014 when it when it spiked i i think i hope that we can kind of level this off a bit so we could extend a good period uh with the input costs and everything the way they are we need two or three good years here to kind of get some footing back that that we've lost as far as equity in the cattle industry so I, I'm hopeful. I think it's good. I think, uh, you know, it would probably sound like your job when I say this, but it's probably when we get to these levels, it's probably time to do something that locks in at least a portion of what we can have. Yeah. So a black swan event does not come in and take out all the profit that you thought you right. were going to have. Should protect some of that revenue. And we're alluding to LRP product, which you, you brought up a little bit earlier. And Neither one of us are here to sell the LRP product, but I think we both are pretty firm advocates that it is a marketing mechanism, well, not a marketing mechanism, I should correct myself there. Um, it's a, a way to ensure a price on those cattle. It gives you a little bit of comfort anyway when you sleep at night. Well, and it's subsidized by the government, so it's a, it, it, otherwise it would be a, so costly that we wouldn't even look at it. In fact, when LRP was introduced, that was the case. It was hardly used at all because it was too expensive, and now uh, they have subsidized it just like they do with some of the crop insurance things, and they've made it a very uh, viable option uh, when you start looking at uh, – uh, marketing your calves or at least taking some insurance uh, that maybe we could get to there you know I again you hate to give away anything and in our industry we're all independent producers you hate to leave anything out there on the table but it's it's more, you know there's way more chances that it could get wiped down than there are that we could go yeah. to 2,000 from yeah. where we are you know so 
I, I think uh, that that's a good thing. We are going to have an LRP uh, uh, meeting at St. Ange Livestock on June 15th at noon. Uh, we're going to have burgers and brats, and the Compass Trading is the ones. And, again, I'm the same as you. I'm not advocating for them necessarily or anybody, but I just think having the knowledge of how it works, and I, I'm not an expert on it either, so I'm kind of glad to have them out and hear yeah. a few of the nuances to the LRP, and, and I think uh, they'll be able to answer a lot of questions at that time, at least on how it works. And, and, and I think that's knowledge that every producer should have, at least have that in your repertoire that you can use that. Of course, you know, being a banker, I'm never happy. I, we like what numbers we're seeing come in or contracts we have seen been offered in the country on calves. Those numbers are great. But in the back of my mind, what's that make a replacement heifer cost this fall? So now we're and, – and then we get the question from people every day, should I keep all my heifer calves this year? Is it going to be value in keeping your heifer calves? You know, every operation is different, and it depends on what they have for feed availability and yardage availability and uh, – bulls aren't free anymore <laughs> so there's a lot of variables that come into play there uh but what's ever cap gonna be worth this fall just and and that's a great question you a mutual friend of ours we had that discussion earlier today about you know should do you capitalize by letting go of some of your foundation when these prices are that good or do you try to stay in there and keep as many of them and and take the economic factors and, and the benefits as they are you know, it's it's definitely going to cost a lot more to replace one. The one thing that feels better going into this year is it's going to should cost less to keep them around. Where corn yeah. is back into out of the stratosphere and in levels maybe we can uh, operate at, and we don't see that very often where we get cheap corn and high cattle. It's yeah. usually one or the other, yeah. and it, and it kind of flip flops. But I, I think I think it's going to be a time to young and up. And I know that that uh, we've talked about this in my own operation with you that. When the, the things are this high, that's a good time to try and get younger, you know, yep. because your older end of your uh, herd is worth more than they ever have been in some cases. Yep. So it's a good time for me in, in in our own operation, and I guess in my own mind, it's a good time to probably retain some of those heifers. I know that takes a little bit out of the bottom line for this year, but you also youngened your herd, and, is, and then when it, we get into a stretch where it's a little tougher, you can stay the course a little longer yeah, with those. Yeah, you got those. more time left in that cow. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you know, we like I said, we've, we've sold a few cattle on uh, the Superior's Country page in the 1600 range. You know, that in typically would mean a heifer uh, is going to be 50 to to $100 back. And I think one thing people don't take into account, when we get this high, when the levels get this high, the spread's probably not going to narrow. The heifer spread is probably actually going to widen a bit yeah. um, just because that's the nature of the beast. The ones that feed, anyway, probably that female's going to be worth a, a pretty good premium until we get herd stock numbers back to levels that uh, we're used to seeing, and that could take a while, you know, the the uh, last numbers I saw is we're still not retaining heifers this year at a rate like I thought we would. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with high feed costs. I think that held yeah. back a lot of guys that yep. were maybe going to keep heifers, but the feeds were, costs were so high. So it, it's probably going to be a pretty good year to uh, keep those heifers and, and, and have options. That's always the nice thing with the keeping the female. You now have options. Yep. You know, breed that heifer. She could be sold as a bred heifer. She can be sold as a pair. She can go back to the herd. So options are good. And uh, I'm sounding like a banker <laughs> over here. I'm going to ask you a question, opinion only. I don't think you probably have any factual data because I didn't give you an opportunity to pull it together. But 
you know, watching the sale barn reports the last, I'm going to say, three years, we have culled cattle, mother cows, to a level that I don't know if every cow in the northern plains went through western South Dakota, but it seems like every barn was up massively on their kill cows. And we still have inventory, so <laughs> where'd they all come from? Did we have more out there than we thought we did? I you know, that's a great question. I, I, I don't think I've heard numbers, you know, that have said that the in Montana, especially they're 30% below. Is it believable to me? Yes. I mean, I don't know how you exactly quantify that. I think numbers in our area are definitely down too, just because of drought. But but we we started back last year a little bit. We started out yeah. having thinking we we're going to have moisture. So I think we've started to build in western South Dakota, especially. But uh, I think the the cow numbers, the slaughter numbers, and, the, and it is a historical thing. You can look it up. I mean, we've took them at a pace that is we've never seen before. You had cull cow sales last fall. Some Saturdays, what, 3,500? Yes, head? over 3,000 way up cows. Yeah. I mean, that's just unheard of. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that tells you everything you need to know about probably where the herd size is. It definitely, we've shrunk it. But was there more out there to begin with? That's also a great question. I mean, I think there's some that believe that. I, I think that we are going to, it, it'll be how the, the rain goes. And that, like we looked on the way down here today, the country looks as good as I remembered in a long, That's long pretty, time to yeah. start, you know, and that can change. We're always, what is this old saying, two <laughs> weeks away from a drought. Yep. But I, I think we look good, and, and, and where we live here in western South Dakota, we want to grow grass. And we've The conditions have never been better where we've stayed fairly cool. We've had adequate moisture. Uh, so as far as a grass growing year, I mean, we look at it here by the 1st of June, we're, we're close to making our summer. I mean, we want to catch some more rains, but it sure looks like we're going to have a great grass year. I don't know how the hay is going to be, but uh, it looks like a great grass year. Yeah, we just need a little bit of hay production in our part of the world, and we're going to have a pretty good fall and winter attitude too, I believe. If you look at the drought maps, Kansas is in a terrible spot right now. Panhandle, Oklahoma, I think Panhandle of Texas has healed up a little bit. Have you seen cattle leaving that country to this direction very much yet? Do you think there's more coming? You know, it really, a month ago, had started in earnest. The, uh, I got a friend of mine runs El Dorado Livestock down there in Kansas, and uh, uh, they were looking for places for cows to go because it was terrible dry. They have gotten a little moisture. They're not healed. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see a big push to get them up here now as long as they can continue to get some moisture. But there definitely was some early. I know of several deals that moved up out of that country into our part of the world just because we looked quite a little better. You know, that drought monitor thing is, is quite a deal. And, of course, our idea of a drought and their idea of a drought is always you got to quantify yeah. those things. But it it's... Uh, it's really in a much better place as is uh, the travels I've had mostly in Montana and western uh, uh, um, eastern Wyoming and in the our trade area it it is as good in our area as I've seen it in the spring in a long long time so and it always makes everybody feel better if there's green grass out there and, and uh, we always talk about that disease at the sale barn that they have when there's green grass they got to have them but uh, uh, I, I think that we've seen some of that. You know, these are these prices. We've we saw six weight steers pushing 280, 290 um, for grass type cattle, and and I mean that's that's a lot. And then they got to bring a lot back for that to work. So 
Uh, uncharted water is always a little hard to be a, a prognosticator of such, and uh, I always hate to do that as a sailborn guy anyway. You know, you, you, we always tell them we're going to uh, get all we can that day for them because that's what they're going to be worth, and that's the way a free market works. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how fall plays out. I, I hope it's as good as it looks like it could be. And I hope these guys uh, uh, take advantage of this time frame to kind of get healed up and, and, and put some equity back into their pocket. I like pushing you to the wall as hard as I can. Uh, what, what marketing plan do you like for the upcoming year for somebody? You know, I think it's always hard to jump in and out of things. I've always been a believer in, you know, it's not the way Grandpa did. It's not always the way to do it. But if, if you take a 10-year average where you sold calves on the video and this is the way you've marketed them in the past – uh, and that works for you, then do that. If you've sold uh, in the fall, and, and that's been kind of a thing, I think when you spread those things over a 10-year average, I, I think that staying the course yep. is, is way better than jumping ship and trying to outthink whether a guy should sell them early or not. And, and, and I think one of the things the LRP does is it gives you the, the viability and, and the options to do what you want to do because you can put a little insurance on them, and then you can see where it goes. And I guess one thing we hadn't mentioned on the LRP is if the market goes up, it's strictly by the head insurance, so you get it. So if it continues to go up, you get to reap that benefit. That's the beauty of that uh, uh, type of insurance. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. My guest today is Justin Tupper of St. Ange Livestock. Uh, we talked a little bit about U.S. Cattlemen's and a little bit about the market, Justin. Uh, let's talk about fun stuff. It's branding season. You've hit just about every branding and how many counties states <laughs> you guys cover a, a wide swath area but you get to see a lot of that's kind of a family reunion time for a lot of places you get to see mom and dad grandpa and grandma the kids uh, how do you feel about the future of our industry as you get to view them at home doing their work you know i think uh, that's a great point clay that uh, you know branding season is it's like a renewal you know you get to uh, get out there and see everybody and, and when you have green grass around you and uh, and a good crew, and, and you get a big job done in a long day, it's it's really exciting to do, and, and we're glad to be able to get out and see a lot of our customers at that time, as I know you guys do the yep. same, and and uh, I, I think it is. I think uh, one thing that we probably don't talk about enough is the youth and how important it is that we get them involved in not only the everyday hardworking chores, but get them back involved in the industry because uh, that is going to be what we fight in the future is, is being able to make sure that we can be sustainable for that next generation to be on the farm or ranch and and uh, to do that uh, is not always easy and, and you deal with it more than I do yep. on a daily basis as, as people try to estate plan and do those things it's uh, very difficult but I think now more than ever we've got to make sure that the, there's a place for our youth to come back to this industry and, and, and make sure that they have a real uh, sustainable and viable and to be sustainable you got to be profitable it's that simple and yep. And uh, I, I, it looks good. I, I think it's uh, not the easiest life, but as you well know, and, and, and all of our customers and, and people know, it's a, it's a quality of life, and, and we really believe in that. And branding season is a great time to uh, uh, re renew that thought process, how, how important it is that we get to do what we do each and every day. When I come down to the barn and look at your crew down there, you're all like me. You're getting older and gray-haired. <laughs> pretty hard to find employees anymore too it is it's tougher all, all the time uh you know i think as 
some of the opportunities for have been out there for these guys that normally would take a part-time job at a sale barn and, and sort a few cattle to make a few extra bucks here or there. Uh, there there's been some big opportunities with the oil industry and some of those guys that would do mm-hmm. that have, have and don't blame them. They've got yeah. to do those yep. things. But yes, it is tougher. But I, I think we got to continue to uh, teach uh, and, and advocate for our industry, and and, and that's going to be with the youth. And 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 we can't sugarcoat it. It's not uh, it's not an easy life. It's not something that uh, you're going to sit back and then get your weekends off and be able to go wherever you want to go. It's not like that at all, as we well know. But uh, uh, it does have its uh, rewards for sure. Well, you guys do a. An awfully good service down there. And how many high school kids do you have on a typical Friday during the fall run? I am so thankful for uh, Fridays where they uh, don't have school in Belfouche and several of the other local schools don't, and uh, and that affords an opportunity to get some of those guys on on Fridays. And and I think uh, good experience too. I mean, to get around a, a you know a peer group that uh, is interested yeah. in the same things as you and, and work hard. And it is hard work on a long sale day, but uh, I, I do think it's a it's a great way and. I, I mean, there's stories. You've heard them of how they've grown up in the yeah, sale Yeah, both of my boys were there every Friday for four years, yep. five years, I think. <laughs> there's a lot of good stories. Yep, that's and growing up time. They learn a lot of values there. Uh, you can have fun. Yep. You still got to work. <laughs> now, there, there's a lot of value in that, and I appreciate you guys continuing to that tradition. I don't know how, much, how long it's been going on, 20 years. As long as we've been there, we've tried to. Yeah. What's your upcoming schedule look like, Justin? Yet, so I think uh, as as far as the barn schedule goes, uh, I, I look for finally and for the first time in probably five years a little more of a normal summer where we see uh, really light receipts as we go through the the summer months. Just because we've got grass and the cow market has been uh, very good, the cold cow market. So these guys have not held them. They, you know, they've they've yep. went ahead and rolled the town with what they needed to. So I I look for a, a slower uh, summer, which is a good thing. It gets uh, we can get some work done at the barn. Everybody get uh, rejuvenated. We are going to take two weeks off for uh, uh, the Fourth of July, the thirtieth, and the week of the fourth. Uh, uh, it's a slower time of the year as long as we aren't in a drought. So uh, yeah. that's a good time to do that. Uh, other schedules. I have a few uh, speaking uh, engagements. We're headed to. Uh, um, Florida for the LMA convention uh, is this next week. Uh, first part of July, I go to the Independent Cattlemen of Texas um, meetings and uh, going to give a talk there. And then we have our summer meetings for U.S. Cattlemen in Reno uh, in the middle of July. So uh, we've got some things going on in there. And then we'll have our fly-in for U.S. Cattlemen, which I would encourage anybody that has never had the opportunity to go to D.C. and to see how some of the things work. Uh, it's well worth it. Uh, the tough part in uh, our industry, you got to kind of pay your own way, uh, and you got to learn those lessons. But I think uh, there's a lot of value in going to D.C. and having your voice heard, and and also value in understanding how it works process, and, and, yes. and how things get done. So then you're having is it Compass going to be at the sale barn? Yep, or? our in our LRP meeting, it will be June 15th, and and there'll be a free meal there that day at noon. That's a Thursday. Uh, so hopefully if uh, you have some interest in that, let us know. We'd love to kind of have a rough idea for a meal. So if you're interested in going to that, give us a holler. Uh, but that'll be June 15th right at the sale barn. And then the con- cattle contract library, the USDA, will be there June 23rd for a listening session. So look, sure look for those upcoming events. I've got one other event to put on your calendar I haven't asked you about, so I'm jerking the rug out from you right here today. Uh, 
our we call it Pioneer University uh, Management Development program we have at the bank, and we're trying to bring them there in either September or October to see what a sales like uh, to give them. You know, we have a lot of ag business in the bank, but a lot of our folks deal with construction loans and uh, residential housing and convenience stores, and they've never set foot in a sale barn before. So we're going to, our plan is to come out and give them a tour with that too. We'd love to have them. See how the other half lives. Well, Justin, uh, I very much appreciate your willingness to take those trips to D.C. on our behalf, and I hope you'll continue to do so, but I know you need help too. and Support from home and, and encouragement from home, uh, certainly appreciated but thank you for doing that thank you for being on today and thank you for your continued efforts going forward to make our industry stronger yeah thank you clay we appreciate it and uh, and uh, u.s cattlemen's again we want to work hard for the independent producers and and, and try to make this uh, uh something that we can sustain for generations to come so i think that's great and and i love the legacy that uh, pioneer brings to that too because they're in the, they're in it for the long haul too we, we had that discussion about uh they're not a fly-by-night bank and you guys do a great job of making sure that uh, uh families continue to grow through your bank and and we like to see the same thing in the sale barn industry we'd like to see that next generation coming back yeah if they're not there we don't have business going ahead yep and we want to have that so thank you for your time justin thank you